Hi, this is Sarah, and welcome to the Sketchy Folk Podcast. All right, well, first off, hello. Welcome to the, I believe, fifth episode of the Sketchy Folk Podcast. And I am super excited and also super nervous about this one. I thought for this episode, we should kind of head backward in time a good bit more than we have before and talk about one of the the true classics, um, but also with it being an artist that people know or think they know a ton about, it's also nerve wracking, but still, this is one of my favorites and so I'm super excited and so I'm going to quit rambling and get right into it. So. For today's episode, I am going to talk to you about an artist I'm sure you have heard of named Vincent Van Gogh. I know in other countries, I'm pretty sure everywhere except the United States, it's pronounced Vincent Van Gogh. So just to point out the fact that I know not everyone says it the same, I guess. So to get into his story, Vincent Willem Van Gogh was born on March 30th of 1853 in Groot in the Netherlands. Kind of an eerie premonition of what the rest of his life would entail is the fact that Vincent was actually not the first child of his parents, although he grew up in the role of the oldest child. Um, his parents were Theodorus and Anna, and before him they actually had a stillborn son who they also named Vincent. And he was born exactly a year before our Vincent. (laughs) Um, His mother, as Vincent grew up, kind of, it almost seemed like she held it against him that his older brother hadn't survived. And it's like she thought of him as a weaker and less worthy version of her true firstborn son. So I know I would be super creeped out if I found out my parents had named an older sibling that had passed away the same name as me. But I guess if you like really want to use that name, I don't know. (laughs) I'm not, to me that's creepy, but that kind of is a good indication of the relationship between Vincent and his family right from the start. So Vincent grew up with two brothers and three sisters. So the next brother after him to be born was Theo, who would go on to be Vincent's closest confidant. So really, we know as much as we do about Vincent Van Gogh because of the letters he wrote to his brother. Vincent's father was a minister, and though the family wasn't wealthy at all, um, the church provided them with a house, a maid, two cooks, a gardener, a carriage, and a horse. So clearly, I went into the wrong profession. (laughs) Um, Especially for the time, I feel like that's quite a staff and, you know, quite the setup, but what do I know? His father had strong morals and his mother was insistent that the children all make family the number one priority and that they uphold the standards for their high social position within their community. So I feel like that's a lot of pressure for young kids, whether it's because your dad's the pastor or, I mean... Guess I've never been in this situation, but I could see it if, you know, if your dad's the football coach, you might be in a kind of a similar spot where 
just a lot of people in the area are looking to you and you need to be on your best behavior. As a child, um, Vincent struggled with his education. He went from being educated at home to going to the village school to going to boarding schools, um, and he was just uncomfortable with all of those options. Um, He seemed to really struggle with the social aspect of his schooling, and he seemed unable to delve deeply into his lessons. But the one consistent through everything was that his real passion was artwork. His mother did encourage his drawing, and he did this constantly. Um, He would draw anything he could find. He did a lot of... um, He would draw things he saw. He wasn't necessarily the little kid that drew... Godzilla riding away in a spaceship, you know, he would go out in a field and find some flowers and then draw the flowers. So the next bullet is he took special pleasure in drawing objects from nature. So there we go. (laughs) In his own writings later on, he described his childhood as austere and cold and sterile. So imagine being a kid and growing up. It makes me think of Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, (laughs) where they comment that his house is like a museum um, where it's cold and you're not allowed to touch anything. And I kind of get that impression for Vincent. If he was going to have fun, he had to leave the house. But while he was out, he had to be on his best behavior and had to be back at a precise time. And he just didn't really get a lot of time to be a kid. Okay, in 1869, Vincent Van Gogh's uncle actually hooked him up with a job in an art dealer. Um, and the dealer was called Goopel and Sai, I believe. And this was in The Hague. He trained for four years for this position. Then he transferred to their London branch in 1873. His year at this firm started out really successful. He was making a good amount of money and he seemed happy. Um, However, he started to have trouble when he became infatuated with his landlady's daughter. Her name was Eugenie Loyer. Um, Or lawyer, perhaps, I guess, depending on whether or not she was English. So this kind of becomes another motif of poor Van Gogh's life where he would really fall for somebody and those feelings were not reciprocated and it just cost him a lot of problems. So when he confessed his feelings to her, she informed him that she was in fact secretly engaged to someone else, um, but he was heartbroken. His spirits plummeted, he grew more isolated, and he ended up turning to religion as a means of coping. His father and uncle, seeing these issues becoming more serious, arranged a transfer in 1875 to Paris. But at this branch, he really struggled to come to terms with the way they handled, priced, and appreciated the artwork, and he was unable to keep his job. Between 1876 and 1878, so the next couple few years, he tried out several additional jobs, but he never really kept any of them very long. In 1877, he was sent to live with his uncle in Amsterdam so that he could apply for the University of Amsterdam's School of Theology. He ended up failing the exam, as well as a three-month course he tried afterward at a Protestant missionary school in Laken, Brussels. He was still adamant, though, that being a missionary was his calling, so he moved to a coal mining district in the Borinage in Belgium. He lived in incredibly impoverished quarters. His aim was to relate better to the people he was attempting to reach, Um, but while today we would maybe look at this with some level of respect, At the time, his colleagues were just really disgusted by his behavior, and they saw it as him undermining the dignity of the priesthood. So lack of support from literally anyone, family or career-wise or at all from another soul in the world, 
It, this led him to return home until the March of 1880. By the end of this time, his father was literally recommending that he be committed to an asylum. So he kind of tried all this stuff. He was kind of turning into just a drain on resources for his family. And they were kind of given up on supporting him. He was really at a loss, but he was determined to follow what he felt was his passion, which at the moment was religion. And Vincent returned to the Bournage from August through October of 1880. He shared lodging with a minor during this time. But instead of focusing solely on religion, his brother, Theo, suggested that he delve into artwork as his main area of study while he was there. So Vincent began drawing the minors he saw. Encouraged by his brother and finally feeling a modicum of success, Vincent was able to be persuaded by his brother to study with Willem Roloffs, who further persuaded him to attend the Académie des Beaux-Arts. Um, and this is where he found himself at the end of 1880. So quite the turnaround to go from feeling completely lost and hopeless to being in an art school and having some semblance of a plan. In 1881, Van Gogh returned to live with his parents. He began studying drawing in earnest, and he was still, just like he was when a kid, he would look around him for what to draw and what to paint. But he focused a little bit more on people than just landscapes and objects at least compared to when he was a kid. That August, though, trouble began a brewing. So his cousin, whose husband had unfortunately recently died, and her eight-year-old daughter came to stay with Vincent and his family. She was seven years older than Vincent, and they spent a lot of time together, just kind of being stuck in the house. Um, they were chilling for quite a while, but Vincent decided to declare that he was in love with his cousin, whose name was Key, and he asked her to marry him. So, her response, which, you know, girl, do, you know, stand up for yourself, that's awesome, but since we're talking about Vincent, I, I can feel the knife to his heart a little bit. Her response was, nuit nin nimmer, which translates to no, nay, never, and forgive my pronunciation of that. I'm honestly not even sure what language it was. So she left promptly, and while Vincent tried to distract himself for a while, he ended up following her to Amsterdam, where her father would not let him see her. Rightly so, I think. His argument, apparently, was that they couldn't marry because Vincent couldn't support himself and didn't say anything and not anything about, you know, his kind of creepy behavior, which is, I don't know how I feel about that. Um, Van Gogh retreated back to The Hague, where his second cousin, Anton Mauve, taught him how to paint. They started with watercolors, and they eventually moved to oil paints. The two were, going, were getting along rather well, but they ended up getting into a bit of a tiff. Um, it's thought this is because Van Gogh couldn't afford to pay models, so he would invite people in off the street, which is something he did the rest of his life. Um, and Anton thought this practice was kind of lowly. So whatever the case... Theo sent Vincent money so that he could purchase his first set of oil paints, and from then on, that was the medium that he stuck with 99% of the time, unless he was just drawing. At this point, Vincent experienced yet another <laughs> bout of heartbreak, we'll say. He had taken up living with a woman named Sien and her five-year-old daughter. Moff and Vincent's father were outraged by this arrangement, not only because the two weren't married, but also because Sien was a prostitute. Um, Vincent defied their insistence that he move out immediately, but eventually 
he did kind of give up and he moved back home. So no one's exactly sure why he changed his mind, but he was clearly feeling quite heartbroken and lonely by the time he got back to his parents' house. In late 1883, Van Gogh moved to Nguyen, where he continued painting people, scenes, and still lives. During his time here, he painted almost 200 oil paintings alone, along with a crazy number of drawings and watercolors. If you see a Van Gogh painting that is mostly brown and black with all the other tones being really muted, it's most likely a painting from this time. He followed the loose style of the Impressionist, but his color palette was much more muted. So, I hadn't mentioned it before, I made the mistake of assuming, but Van Gogh is the artist who painted like the Starry Night painting with the swirly crazy stars and the cypress tree. Um, he painted the sunflowers you see that are really brushy and loose. Um, he painted the potato eaters. One of my favorite paintings of his is it, it's like a skeleton with a cigarette that's lit. Just the colors are it's just super fun. Um, but it, it's like a really brushy, loose style. It's really distinctive. So just to, I guess, an aside to explain who we're talking about. In 1885, a Parisian art dealer contacted the Van Goghs with a desire to try to sell Vincent's paintings. Theo began working with the dealer to try to sell his brother's work, but the dark subject matter of the paintings themselves and the color palette really made it difficult to sell. A lot of people sort of passed them up when they were shopping for their artwork. In November of 1885, Vincent moved to Antwerp where he continued his studies. So Theo continued to send him money, but Vincent preferred to spend his money on supplies, so he didn't get to eat very much, and this really poorly affected his health. He spent a lot of time in museums studying the work of other Impressionists, as well as other forms of art that he saw there. This time of study added a range of colors to his dark work, and he also became really fascinated by Japanese woodcuts, whose style he injected into his work as well. From February through March of that year, he actually ended up in the hospital, just his poor diet and his poor health really knocked him down and he had to go kind of rehabilitate with some medical help for a while there. He tried attending the Academy of Fine Arts in Antwerp, but he constantly clashed with the teachers because he refused to follow their instructions and participate in the exercises as they had planned them, which they saw as just defiance and being an annoying problem and not a sign of creativity. Granted, I'm not saying you shouldn't listen to your teachers, just an aside, but that was the issue in this particular instance. In 1886, Vincent moved to Paris. He lived with his brother Theo in his apartment in Montmartre. He continued making artwork. He became friends with John Peter Russell, Emile Bernard, Louis Anquetin, sorry, and Henri Toulouse-Lautrec. They painted each other's portraits often and talked about artwork together. He did a fairly decent job of relating to the other artists, though they did sometimes argue about techniques and lifestyle decisions. So for a little bit here, he kind of was in a stride. He had friends, um, or at least colleagues or um, peers that he could relate to. So at this time, the biggest issue became dealing with rooming with his brother, which as a person with siblings, that's understandable. They clashed all the time, but, you know, they ended up working it out, thank goodness. Vincent moved a little bit later to a suburb north of Paris. Here, he continued to work, and he befriended Paul Gauguin. 
At the end of 1887, Vincent participated in an exhibition along with his new artist friend um, that was revolutionary for its time. After painting more than another 200 paintings there, Vincent left Paris in 1888. At this time, he retreated to a town called Arles. His goal while there was to start his own artist colony. He rented out a portion of a place he called the Yellow House. He used it as a studio as he worked to furnish it so that he could move in. In the meantime, he lived in the Café de la Gare. In October of 1888, Gauguin moved into the Yellow House. The two painted together, but Gauguin was rather full of himself, to be honest, and he never treated Van Gogh as an equal. He always talked and looked down to him, which Van Gogh, you know, at a certain point had had enough of. <laughs> um, they argued all the time, and Van Gogh was ultimately really just terrified that Gauguin would leave, and then that would be the end of his dreams to have an artist colony there, because he had enjoyed so much being in Paris with um, all the artists there in Montmartre that he really wanted to create this kind of environment for himself. So this friction culminated in the frequently mistaken event, um, one of the most famous things that poor Van Gogh ever did. So in late December of 1888, Gauguin and Van Gogh had some disagreement. It had been raining heavily for a couple of the days prior, so the two had been stuck together in the yellow house without being able to get away from each other. Um, speculation has been bandied about that perhaps Theo owed Gauguin some money or that Gauguin thought the brothers were cheating him out of money somehow. But Van Gogh almost certainly knew that Gauguin was planning to leave. And this, as I said, was just one of his worst fears. According to Gauguin, during a statement that he made nearly 15 years later, he tried to go for a walk, but Vincent followed him. For no stated reason, Vincent flew at him with an open razor in his hand. After they separated, Vincent went back to the yellow house and basically had a meltdown. He severed part of his left ear with a razor, um, and still in a state of delirium, he cleaned himself up, packaged up his ear, and delivered the package to a woman from a brothel that he frequented. Um, he was found the next morning and taken to the hospital. So, just to clear up what I know I always heard growing up, he didn't cut off his whole ear, he didn't cut it off just because he was in love with a prostitute, um, it was all a result of this massive argument that he and Gauguin had that day, and unfortunately we only really have Gauguin's perspective of it anymore, um, so while there are a few things we know, a lot of it is still just a big question. So after this event, his brother Theo, who unfortunately had just proposed a marriage to his lady, uh, ended up having to book a train out to Arles to see Vincent and arrived on Christmas Day. Um, but since Vincent was doing okay, he just returned that night and just kind of left him there by himself. So on January 7th, Vincent returned to his home, the Yellow House, though he was still in a bit of a shaky emotional state. He wrote that he suffered from hallucinations frequently. He acted brashly enough that a group of townspeople actually positioned the police to close off his house. Um, so unfortunately, he had no choice but to return to the hospital. And it was there and then that he met Dr. Ray. He moved into one of the rooms in his house and spent two months there. And after this, he entered an asylum at Saint-Rémy-de-Provence. Van Gogh had painted Dr. Ray and gave him the painting as an expression of gratitude. 
but Dr. Poophead didn't like it, so he used it to patch a hole in a chicken coop and then gave it away. In 2016, though, the painting found a home at the Pushkin Museum of Fine Arts, and it was valued at about $50 million, which is insane. It was used to patch a chicken coop at one point. That's just crazy. So during his time at this asylum, he was heavily supervised. He was allowed some supervised walks, during which time he would paint the outdoors, and he would sometimes paint the inside of the asylum. Most of his work during this time, though, was based on his view through the barred windows in his room. And one evening, he decided he was going to paint the starry sky outside. This became the painting that we now know and love called Starry Night. So desperate for new material, he asked his family to send him some of his old drawings so that he could at least paint from memory. Again, during this time, he was finally receiving some acclaim for his work from his artist friends of nothing else. After one man insulted Vincent's work at a gathering, Toulouse Lautrec demanded that he take it back, with Signac offering himself as a backup if Toulouse Lautrec gave in. So his friends from Paris were kind of seeing what he was doing and really finding it interesting and were at least standing up for him whenever other people would try to be snarky turd heads. In May of 1890, Vincent moved to live with a man named Dr. Gachet, and he made this move in the hopes of being closer to Theo. The doctor was an amateur painter himself, and he sought other painters to aid. For some reason, this doctor guy just kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies. There's just something about him. He seems like a bit of a sham. Um, I kind of got the impression reading about him that he would like get these painters to come live with him, and then it was almost like he was trying to get them to teach him how to paint instead of actually helping him. I don't know. Maybe I'm making things up, but he just rubs me the wrong way. I don't know. Vincent, though, described him as iller than I am, it seemed to me, or let's just say as much. So, it's not just me that thinks he was iffy. Vincent was feeling lonely here, and he was quite sad, but he felt that the landscape around Dr. Gachet's house was really doing him some good. On the 27th of July, in 1890, Van Gogh left his rooms to go paint in a nearby field. A few hours later, he came tottering back to the town with a bullet wound in his chest. Many state simply that he shot himself, and I think most sources, if you look up, they say that um, his cause of death was suicide, but others speculate that a local boy who had actually kind of been tormenting Vincent is responsible, and no one really knows for sure. So doctors tried to treat him, but none of them could remove the bullet, so they just let him rest. His brother came rushing to town the next day, and Vincent seemed to be doing well, but an infection from the wound caused his health to decline, and he died two days later on July 29th of 1890. Theo, who was so close to Vincent, even though he caused him all this trouble, um, was already sick. He was already not in the best of health, so when he was struck with the blow of his brother's death, he passed away the following July 30th, almost exactly a year later. So posthumous attempts have been made at diagnosing Van Gogh's psychosis, um, but nothing's been settled upon. And obviously at this point, it's just armchair psychology. And I think it's rather unfair to try to diagnose someone who is no longer here to defend themselves and not provide an accurate bit of information to go on. Whatever the case, his health, the diet, and the amount of time he spent working and his drug use certainly exacerbated the issue. Um, so really we'll never know exactly what was going on with him. 
Theo's widow, whose name is Johanna, was left with her own life in pieces after both of these deaths. Um, But she also was stuck with nearly 2,000 works by her late brother-in-law. And honestly, it's just thanks to her and her respect for his work um, that we have his work to even admire. So I just think it's crazy. Imagine you were married for less than a year. You were left with a little baby and your life in shambles. And then you get stuck with the paintings from your weird brother-in-law. But instead of just throwing them away, which I think a lot of people probably fairly would have done, um, she really took it upon herself to make sure that the world would see these. So in 1812, Emile Bernard organized a small show of Van Gogh's work and his work gradually leaked out into the world. This culminated in a massive retrospective at the Wernheim Jeune Gallery in 1901. A number of collections began to accumulate and his fame reached its peak in Germany before World War I. In 1914, the volume of letters between him and his brother were published, revealing the complexity of his life and work. His life had been depicted in movies, books, and has a museum dedicated to him in Amsterdam. There's really just so much you can say about Vincent van Gogh. So, to look back at his life a little bit, there's really, I feel like, a lot to look at. Um, To start with, he really struggled to find a calling. He's an example of someone who didn't really begin pursuing what would end up being his greatest success until near the end of his life so I think it's easy to look at these examples of people who you know started art classes when they were three and (laughs) I don't know have been working since they were toddlers on this thing that now they're really good at it's easy to get caught up in those stories but you shouldn't ever discount when you kind of start to discover you're good at something I don't care if you're 90 give it a shot Um, the next thing is that he really wouldn't have gotten anywhere without Theo. Um, his brother supported him financially and emotionally, emotionally, um, for the most part. (laughs) And he really got Vincent through things that he never would have survived otherwise. So it's good if you can in life to find some support. Maybe it's just some friends, maybe it's family, maybe it's some coworkers you've got, even if it's just listening to a stupid podcast about artists that makes you feel less lonely find people around who can help you with your ambitions and also just being a healthy human. So as I kind of mentioned before, more recently, Vincent van Gogh is one of the most famous artists out there. Um, Most people, if you show them a picture of some of his most famous artworks, they will absolutely have stumbled across it somehow. It's a huge part of popular culture. Um, And so he's just awesome. His paintings are crazy. His life story is heartbreaking. (laughs) So the flip side of that coin, though, is to not lean on your support so much that you mistake their hesitation as advice. So if there's something you feel like you really have to try or a risk you really feel like you have to take, it's worth at least looking into. It's easy for someone who's not involved in something to say, that seems like a bad idea that seems risky and it's always important to listen to that but I don't think you should only ever listen to other people and not listen to yourself as well and last I would say just take care of yourself ultimately though I'm not victim blaming or anything um that was kind of the downfall of Vincent van Gogh 
he was in really poor mental and physical health just based on his diet and the drug use and shaky relationships he was in. So if you're at all able, find ways to keep yourself in tip-top shape. Um, That way you have the energy and the health to tackle whatever you put your mind to. The art challenge for this week is day one, wiggle. Day two, beans. Day three, apple picking. Day four, worn boots. And day five, sunglasses. So thank you for listening to yet another episode. If you feel so inclined, follow me on Instagram at Sketchy Folk Podcast. Um, Tag the account in any, you know, daily drawings that you do or any other artwork that you put together. If you have any questions or other ideas, um, my email is sketchyfolkpodcast at gmail.com. And... I hope you will, however it works, subscribe to the podcast and I will be putting out the next episode next week. So thank you for listening Um, and I will, I guess, sketch you later. (laughs)